Hey guys, and welcome back to this series on the power of words. We're now in the 12th and final episode, and we're going to be talking about how words on their own are not enough. And the Apostle Paul said something really important and something that we really need to think about at the end of a series like this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 19 to 20, he said this, Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So Paul seems to be saying words are not enough. And of course, we can say all kinds of things with our mouths, but what really counts is the power that we walk in. And he's saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And those who really walk closely with God in humility and faith will know his power in their lives, working through them as they speak and act. But those who only know how to speak, and in this case, Paul was speaking about people who speak arrogantly, those people will find that they simply don't have the power of God to back them up. Why is that? Well, we know that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's James 4 verse 6. You see, Paul knew that a person who speaks arrogantly, thinking that they are something special, will be found to have very little real strength or power when confronted by somebody who really walks closely with God. And Paul had learned that humility, not arrogant speech, is what invites God's power. And even the person who is very weak, humanly speaking, can be strong in the power of God. We mustn't forget what God said to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When you have that understanding that you are weak and in your weakness he is strong, there's that humility that brings God's power into your life. And of course, words are not enough. But if Christ's power rests on us, that will be enough. But how many people today who call themselves Christians are really walking in God's power? How many people think that by speaking the words, Jesus is Lord, or by saying, I'm a Christian, that those things actually make them a Christian? Well, of course, in Romans 10 verse 9, it does say that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this verse shows that there are two primary things we need in order to be saved. One is to profess the right thing with our mouths. And the second thing is to believe the right thing in our hearts. But are there times when those two things are not 
enough. You see, if we're going to talk about professing that Jesus is Lord, we need to remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew 7. This is verse 21. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So what's the problem here? The problem is that professing that Jesus is Lord is only valid if he really is your Lord. If you really are doing the will of God. So speaking the truth alone is not enough. You have to align your life and your decisions with the truth that you profess. And it's exactly the same when Jesus speaks to us. Purely listening to his words don't change our lives. In fact, you can listen to the word of God all day long, every day, and still end up deceived. James 1, 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that's why Jesus goes on in Matthew 7 to say this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So don't think that because you've listened to the right words and you've spoken the right words, that your life must be perfectly on track. It's your obedience that is the sign that you really believe what you profess. Which takes us to the next thing. You see, we've looked at calling Jesus Lord, but what about the second part? It said, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, first of all, it's interesting, isn't it, how specific that is. It doesn't say believing in your heart that Jesus exists. It doesn't say believing in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, although those two things are really important. It says believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is one of the requirements of salvation. So how do you know if a person really believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the best example we have of this is the example of Abraham. In Hebrews eleven nineteen, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Well, we could ask ourselves, what did Abraham do? as a result of believing that God could raise Isaac from the dead? Answer, he took him up a mountain and almost killed him. In other words, he didn't just reason in his mind or believe in his heart that God could raise the dead, he acted on it. And the Bible tells us that Abraham's faith was credited to him 
as righteousness. So we know that this is the type of faith that God is looking for, the type of faith that can save us. But David, are you saying that Abraham was saved because of his actions? No, that's not what I'm saying. Romans 4 makes that clear. Romans 4 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the one who works to the one who works Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So righteousness is credited to a person on the basis of their faith, not on the basis of their works. However, Abraham's actions were the visible proof that his faith was genuine. So you could say, here's a person who professes that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. But where are the actions that are the visible proof that that faith and that profession are genuine? And James goes on to say that his faith, talking about Abraham again, his faith and his actions were working together. James 2, 21 to 24, it says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It says that Abraham was called God's friend. Do you remember Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, I just want to make it clear. I am not saying that we can earn our salvation by works. We're saved not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. However, it's not enough to just profess Jesus as Lord or to say that we believe in him. If he really is our Lord and we really do believe in him, it will be shown automatically by our actions. Words alone are not enough. And actually, if we go back a few verses in the book of James, chapter two, we can see this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is saying that my faith will be evident by the way I live. 
This reminds me of when John the Baptist in Matthew 3 verse 8 said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I, if there's really been repentance in your heart, if you are calling Jesus your Lord now, then produce fruit that reflects that reality. You see, faith is not something that can be hidden. When a person's heart changes, their fruit changes, their thoughts change, their words change, and their actions change. And actually, Psalm 15 also specifies something very specific and practical that I want to bring your attention to in this episode. We looked at this psalm in an earlier episode, but for a different reason. So this is Psalm 15. It's only five verses. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honours those who fear the Lord. Now look at this, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Did you see that it said who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind? You see, there's something about giving our word and keeping it or acting upon it that God really values. And I think that too many people today make commitments and then change their mind, either because they don't feel like doing it anymore or because they think that they've found a better option. And I would say two things. I would say, first of all, be careful what you commit to. Be careful what you say. you are going to do. Don't commit yourself too quickly. Make your decisions prayerfully so that you know that what you're committing to is what God wants you to commit to. And once you've committed to something, don't be easily moved. Because it says here, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. So just because something becomes difficult or uncomfortable, inconvenient or even painful does not mean that you should back out of the commitment that you've made. And actually, often true maturity is on the other side of perseverance. And we've looked at this verse before, but let's look at it again. James 1 verse 4, it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And those who back out when things get difficult are usually missing a great opportunity to become more like Jesus. I suppose another thing that this psalm teaches us is that God takes our words very seriously. So here are my questions for you in episode 12. Do you take your words as seriously as God does? And how seriously do you take God's word? Do you tremble at his word? Are you quick to obey his word? 
Are you a person who says that Jesus is Lord or are you a person for whom Jesus really is your Lord? Of course, how you speak is one thing. What you profess is one thing. What you say you believe is one thing. But how do you live when nobody is watching? That's my challenge for you. And that's the challenge for me as well at the end of this series. You see, our words might get us a reputation among men, but the only thing that really matters is what God thinks. In the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to a church that had a reputation. The church was in a city called Sardis. And this is what he said to them. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. And for those of you who know that your deeds may have been unfinished in the sight of God, I want to really encourage you to repent. And I really believe that God wants me to end this series by giving you the same words that he gave to the prophet Jeremiah. And before I read these words, I want to encourage you not to take them casually. I want to encourage you to listen very carefully because I believe that God is speaking these words directly to you right now. Jeremiah 15, 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for all the things that you've taught us during this series. Lord, we want to thank you that you've revealed to us how powerful your word is and how powerful our words can be. And Father, we want to receive this message of this final episode in humility right now, Lord. And we just want to recognize that sometimes we've said the right things. Sometimes we've professed the right things, but actually our deeds have not been in line with what we've professed. And Father, we want to come before you right now. We want to say we're sorry. And Lord, we want to turn from that kind of life that is displeasing to you. Father, we want to say our sorry that our deeds have been unfinished 
in your sight. And Lord, we ask that you would come and restore us right now. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you, Jesus, that your deeds were not unfinished, that you died on the cross for us so that we might be forgiven of every sin we've ever committed. And we receive that forgiveness and that cleansing right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Would you fill us with your spirit now? Would you help us to utter worthy, not worthless words, Lord, that we might be your spokesman, Lord, and that people would turn to us, but that we would not turn to them. And we pray that many people would be affected for your kingdom purposes on this earth through the way that we live, through the things that we believe and by the way that we speak in Jesus name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this series. I hope you've been really blessed and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. God bless you.